Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm an integrative and functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in well over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs. And I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a school in practitioner mentorship where we help other clinicians level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what this show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I would love for you to subscribe to the show, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Now give me the mic so I can take it away. All right, friends, we are back. Today, we're going to talk about post-birth control syndrome. This is something that we see kind of a lot in practice. We've talked about birth control and have different people on the podcast throughout the years, but it's been like a minute. And like I said, it's something that we're seeing a lot in practice. It's definitely something that we see in your hormone revival. So today I have our lead practitioner here, Rachel Mystery with us, and she's going to kind of unpack what the heck is going on and why we're seeing this. And if you are somebody who's experiencing some of these symptoms, I think this is going to be a awesome episode for you. I just want to remind everybody that registration for your hormone revival opens February 16th. You can head to thefunctionalnutritionist.com forward slash YR to get on the wait list if you're listening before then. And That's really going to give you the framework and the resources to walk you through a lot of what we're talking about today, a lot of the therapeutic strategies that we're going to discuss. And you also get lab testing done as well as an individualized appointment with Rachel. So I'm going to just post this disclaimer before I let you take over, Rachel. It's kind of like my forever stance on birth control, which is this. You are the authority on you. You decide what to do with your body. I believe in informed consent, but in order for you to give your informed consent, you have to first be informed. And so that is sort of what we're looking to do here. Would you agree, Rachel? 100%. And I wish that these were things I was educated about before I had gone on hormonal birth control and even coming off birth control just to like better support my body. And We all know that if if you've taken birth control, you've seen that like big piece of paper that (laughs) accompanies each of the monthly packs that talks about all the side effects. But unfortunately, not many of us actually take a look at that or get to actually have a conversation with our docs about what some of those side effects can be and how they actually work. Yeah. And we just want you to be able to know what to look out for and and how to reduce your those symptoms if you have them. If you remain on it or choose to come off of it, again, we don't have like a stake in the game here. We just want you to best support your body. And, you know, Rachel and I have talked a lot about this and our stance is like, we're not anti-birth control, we're just pro-education. And so that's what we're doing here. So why don't we just back up a step and like take it right from the top? What is post-birth control syndrome? What does this even mean? So post-birth control syndrome, it's worth mentioning there's not a ton of like research or literature on this syndrome or on this condition, but rather there's various different studies looking at the certain side effects or the certain symptoms that we can see pop up while women come off the pill or even while they're on them. Post-birth control syndrome is essentially a combination of symptoms that we can see appear within four to six months of discontinuing the birth control pill. For some women, they start to experience these symptoms sooner where they come off the pill and they start to see painful periods. They start to see hair loss, acne popping up even within two to three months. On average, what I've seen in practice is it takes four to six months for those synthetic hormones to really get flushed out of the body and for the hormones to start to rebalance and kind of rebound. In practice, I see a lot of acne. I see a lot of 
missing periods or painful periods after somebody's come off of the pill. And then we know that there's literature linking both depression and anxiety and even digestive upset like inflammatory bowel disease with the use of the pill. And so it can be one of those symptoms. It can be a combination of five plus of them. It really varies on a case-by-case basis. And so like, let's say somebody was going on the pill to alleviate some of the symptoms that you just discussed, like for example, heavy periods. Do you see that come right back post, you know, pill? It totally depends. Again, everyone's bodies are so different, but if we're not addressing why somebody has heavy or painful periods before they go on the pill, it 100% can return. We need to think about why those symptoms were occurring in the first place. So when you take hormonal birth control, it's you're essentially taking these high doses of synthetic hormones. And those high doses of synthetic hormones, they just shut off your body's own production. And so maybe you're on the pill for four years, six, eight, 10, 12 years, and your natural ebb and flow of hormones throughout the month is completely shut off. It's completely tanked. And then your body has to relearn how to process and metabolize those hormones once you come off the pill. So yes, I've seen a lot of those symptoms return after coming off the pill, unfortunately. And then for in case folks are not familiar, I, w- I always like whenever we're talking about any type of pharmaceutical, I always like to talk about the mechanism of action. Like what is this actually doing inside of our body? How is this actually working? So in case folks aren't familiar, can you speak a little bit to that, like how this, the pill actually works? 100%. So there's a couple of different ways that it works. So again, we're taking these synthetic hormones and the act of taking these synthetic hormones will shut off your own body's production of hormones. And specifically what it does is it it disrupts this communication that's happening between your brain and your ovaries. And we know that more hormones are involved in that and more complex processes are involved, but very simplified, it, it disrupts that communication. So it shuts off ovulation and we need to ovulate in order to get pregnant. So that's how we're preventing pregnancy. At the same time, taking hormonal birth control, it can really change the makeup and the composition of cervical mucus. So cervical mucus is this egg-like fluid that our bodies produce as ovulation is approaching and occurring. And that the concept is you produce cervical mucus to like trap the sperm so that you can get pregnant. It changes the composition of cervical mucus, and then it also changes the makeup of the uterine lining. So on a monthly basis, our bodies traditionally build up a uterine lining, and if an egg were to get fertilized, it would implant in the uterine lining. So it, it really changes cervical mucus, the uterine lining, and it, it shuts off ovulation for that kind of triple whammy <laughs> effect. And I, you know, the body is like ingenious and I understand, you know, taking birth control pill for contraceptive purposes. Right. And also like we have to recognize where like the downstream side effects. So if you're interrupting this whole hormonal system in the body, there's going to be some side effects to that. Like that, that just makes sense. That just makes good common sense. I did an episode 149 called the energetics of the four phase cycle. And so you were talking about when we interrupt this process, we kind of like opt ourselves out of the very normal fluctuations of mood, of energy, of hormones throughout the month, which a lot of people view as a good thing. They're like, yeah, I don't want that. I don't want that. That's crazy. But we can also deprive ourselves and kind of rob ourselves of the experience of having a very multifaceted approach to our life. So can you talk briefly, we can do like, I'll send folks to 149 for a deeper dive on this concept, but can you talk briefly about the different phases that are happening in our cycle and like what is happening during these phases. 100%. So a lot of people think about our cycle being linear, but I think of it more as like an ongoing loop more than anything. So traditionally, the typical beginning of the cycle is marked by your period by menstruation, when that uterine lining is shedding, that blood is kind of sloughing off. And that is when our hormones are at the lowest. And so it only makes sense why when our hormones are low, our energy is a bit more lower, we need a little bit more time to ourselves, we reflect more inwards more than anything. And following that menstrual phase, we start to see this follicular phase. And during this phase, this is when the lining of your your uterine lining starts to build up. Uh, Your body is preparing to release that egg. Um, I know you've 
compared it to like your personal springtime, you have a lot more energy, you're more creative, you're excited for the future. And I can share with you, this is when a lot of women may feel like they have more motivation, they're making more plans, they're planning trips, they're uh, going to more intense workout classes even. And that carries through through like the ovulatory phase of the cycle. So when our bodies ovulate, we release this egg. We're the most fertile. We are producing these pheromones to attract a mate. Like the concept is that you're most attractive to the opposite sex during that ovulatory window due to those pheromones. You should be very creative. You should have a very robust libido. And this is also really unfortunate because something that I've actually seen in practice when we think about how the pill works and how the pill shuts off ovulation is I've worked with women who they get on the pill and they feel like their libido completely tanks within a few months. And it's for this exact concept. We're shutting off that process. After you ovulate, you release progesterone and progesterone is thought of as like the calming, relaxing, anti-anxiety hormone. And some women start to notice they have more emotional needs. They're more aware of what's not going right. That's a kind, Rachel's so gentle and kind. Some women might notice that they have more emotional needs. I'm like, I'm a raging bitch. <laughs> exactly. You're more aware of the negative or what's not working in your life is how I think of that. Kind of thinking about my personal experience I've been working with a personal trainer and I was given a workout plan that I follow on a monthly basis. And we track the weights that we're using in these different strength training exercises in an Excel spreadsheet. And I was noticing, not in relationship to my cycle, I wasn't thinking about it this way, but I was noticing like some weeks I would be so stoked for the workout. I was like, that felt easy. I could do more. I can go up and wait. And I'd go back the next week and be like, what changed? Like nothing, nothing's going on. And I started to reflect on it. And I actually started to track like the weight that I'm lifting in relationship to where I'm at in my cycle. And I was noticing during the week leading up to ovulation and around my ovulatory window, I was performing just like so much better athletically during those phases and then like leading up to the period and even like shortly after ovulation things just weren't feeling as good and I wasn't you know I wasn't making the gains yeah (laughs) I mean I think of because it's like a building phase right that's like actually what's happening in the body but it's like I'm all you're also like building energy it's like you know kind of like a like a high vibe, high energy phase. And I always like joke, like, I'm so sorry for the plans that I made when I was follicular, because that's the time that I'm like, let's make all the plans. Everything goes on the schedule. I'm going to create a new program. I'm going to take on more clients. I'm going to do all the social things. And then it's like, oh God, now I have to like uphold what I committed to. Oh dear. And then ovulation is like, it's just like vibes, you know, like you're just like putting out vibes. I just saw a meme, meme just this morning and it was like a tweet from some dude who's like, what's up with girls? Like, why are they into you for three days? And then they ghost you. And then the response was, we were ovulating. <laughs> like it really is like such a, like a high attraction state, but I mean, romance aside, you can really leverage this. I mean, I think I talked about this probably on that podcast, but like, this is such a, your communication is really like strong at this point too. The connection is really strong. So if you think about kind of mapping out your life or mapping out your work in in accordance with your cycle, you can absolutely do that. Or even like you said, kind of mapping out your workout. I, um, a lot of people will ask us, Rachel, like, do you guys, do specific training around your cycle or do you eat a certain way according to your cycle? And I don't, there are these shifts, but I personally, and I would be curious what you think about this, Rachel, like I personally would rather let my body lead versus some like external framework being like, oh, okay, well I'm ovulating. Therefore I should be eating this. Instead, it's more of like an internal cue. Like I do actually tend to get quite hungry around ovulation. So I know like if I, there's like two, sometimes three days of my cycle where I'm like, what is going on? Like I could eat a horse and it's usually because I'm like, oh, I'm ovulating. That's why. Um, There is like a little uptick in metabolism during that time. Mm -hmm. So it, it makes sense. But, and I'm not knocking this because I think this approach works for a lot of people and it's like backed by what's actually going on in our body. I'm personally not a fan of like eating or training in accordance with my cycle. I would rather let like my body's energy kind of lead. How do you feel? 
I agree with that completely. And I think it's less about adhering to a strict template that dictates how you live your life and more so connecting with your own body. And inherently, you might start to notice these things feel better during this phase. Like I can share with you, I kind of like the exercising and it's more so it makes sense to me or if I, I feel like I naturally gravitate towards more bar classes, more hikes and walks during my luteal phase as I'm approaching my period just because I don't feel as motivated and I'm not telling myself don't go strength train it's just what's feeling right to me in that moment as it relates to diet I do make a conscious effort to eat a low inflammatory diet on a regular basis but paying attention to like I make an effort to eat more of those magnesium rich foods again I'm eating them throughout the month but I really ramp them up and maybe I'm using my period as an excuse to eat more chocolate and eat more nuts and seeds but I agree with you and I think it's more about connecting with your body uh, connecting with the ebbs and flow of your hormones throughout the month and like also paying attention to what's going on with your period, because we think of your period as your, your fifth vital sign. Like what is your period telling you? If it's really heavy, painful, if you're getting all this PMS, that's a sign that there something's not right. And we want to address that. We want to go inflammation hunting. And when you take the pill, you kind of, you're shutting that off. You're, you're disconnecting yourself from your hormones as well. And this episode is brought to you by our show sponsor Organifi. If you're interested in hormonal health, I suggest you check out their Harmony Blend. It was specifically designed for PMS support to help balance out female hormones and to give you a little energy boost with the adaptogenic herbs that they use like Shatavari and Maca. So it's a cacao and Maca blend. I happen to love those two flavors together. So tasty. Uh, We also have ginger and turmeric added to the mix. So it's kind of like a spicy treat. Chase tree berries also featured, which is an herb that has been long shown to support female hormones. So I highly recommend that product. It's really tasty, great for post-meal sweet treats. You mix a little bit with either hot water. I personally like it with non-dairy milk. And uh, if you're somebody who has a sweet tooth, check them out. Head to Organifi.com forward slash funk. So that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash funk or use code funk to save you 20% on any of your orders. And all right, shit is bananas right now. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Somebody recently asked me, what do you do when you're doing all of the things, you're practicing all of the tools, but things still feel really intense? And honestly, this is where Ned de-stress comes in for me. It is part of my daily routine right now. It's a certified organic formula, full spectrum hemp with CBG, CBD, and also ashwagandha. So it really helps to calm down the body and soothe down anxiety. If you need some support right now, fortify your stress response and get 15% off Ned's de-stress blend with code FUNK, go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK or enter code FUNK at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you as always, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering myself and our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. All right, back to the show you're disconnecting yourself from your hormones and like this beautiful cycle that we have, you know, like it, it really is such a magical mystery tour if we let it be. Cause I was joking about being a bitch in the luteal phase, but, and I am, but it's also, you're very discerning. So like Rachel said, you're more attuned to the negative by design. It is showcasing in your life. Hey, what needs to change? You know, where in my life are things not working out? Like you get this internal like mechanism built in Every single month, you get the chance to evaluate. You know, in in your hormone revival, we talk about a life audit. Like you get this cycle built right into every single month. And for folks who are listening that are not that are not um, uh, cycling or do not menstruate, you can use the moon to do this as well. And I talk about that in that episode that I referenced. So just a heads up, you're not left out of the cycle. We all we all have cycles that we're attuned to. 
And then the thing about menstruation, because it's kind of like written off as like gross, dirty, shameful, something that we should hide. But the beautiful thing that I've connected to about menstruation is that it's, it is a period where we can release, like we are shedding parts of our body, like literally releasing. And there are certain um, cultures and traditions that talk about menstruation through the lens of like, it's a space to grieve. We don't really allow ourselves that in this culture, but if this, this built in cycle allows you a space to grieve what is no longer working. So luteal phase, we're seeing what's no longer working and then we can release it and we can let it go. And so I always try to carve out like a little bit of time around menstruation to just slow down, go inward, go inside, self-assess, like what do I need and what needs to go and to do that. And I'm like you too. I tend to stick to more like walking, like nature, hikes, things like that, or like slower yoga during that time to create that space for myself to do that. So anyway, now we'll get back to birth control, but I I think it's such a beautiful system that we have that, you know, we like to geek out over. Let's talk about different systems in the body that birth control, if you're taking birth control, that they can impact that you might not be aware of. For sure. First and foremost, something that is becoming more mainstream now that people are becoming aware of, but uh, the birth control pill can deplete just so many of your nutrients. It includes a lot of your antioxidants and like vitamin E, vitamin C, your B vitamins, selenium, zinc, magnesium. And I know it's a whole host of nutrients, but unfortunately, these nutrients are critical when we think about thyroid function. You need pretty much all of those nutrients for your thyroid to produce thyroid hormones and to convert your thyroid hormones into the active ones you actually use throughout the day. We know that the birth control pill has actually been linked to depression and anxiety. There are many different reasons and thoughts for that, but we also know that B vitamin deficiency can be linked to that low energy depression and anxiety type of a profile. Many women, they come off the pill when they are thinking about starting a family within the next year or so. And the birth control pill also depletes CoQ10. And this is like a biggie when we think about egg quality. It's so, so important for our women who are trying to conceive, working on fertility as well. And then interestingly enough, when we think about the connection between magnesium and our menstrual cycles, magnesium, it's anti-inflammatory. It has been shown to reduce menstrual cramping, reduce PMS and even headaches, but the birth control pill depletes magnesium. So some women come off the pill and they have worse periods than what they did before just because of that like depleting effect it can have on the body. So if somebody's listening to this, they're like, that's all fine and great. That makes sense. Is there something that I can do about this from a nutrition standpoint, a food first standpoint to like pack some of these nutrients in? For sure. Um, Whenever I place an order on Thrive Market, or if I'm at the grocery store and I see them, I just make an effort to grab Brazil nuts. I stock up on those. I do one to two daily just for my daily dose of selenium. I'm not on the pill anymore. This is helpful for women on the pill, off the pill. Whenever I go to Costco, they have these big bags of wild-caught frozen salmon fillets, and we keep those in the freezer so we can make an effort just to incorporate those in our routine throughout the month. And then you have some great seed cycling bites, like a recipe for seed cycling bites. I'll make those sometimes on an on and off basis just to incorporate some of those nutrient-dense foods, anti-inflammatories into my diet as well. That's a question that we get asked, I would say a fair amount, like whether that's in the CCP or YHR, even on Instagram, like what are your thoughts on seed cycling? And I think both of us are like, we're, there's no downside to it. You know, we're both a fan. And do you want to explain sort of like the rationale behind seed cycling? So the concept of seed cycling is you're eating different seeds throughout different phases of your cycle to provide you with different nutrients that either help with hormone production, like your vitamin E rich seeds to support progesterone production, or you're eating like flax seeds to support estrogen metabolism during your luteal phase. And similarly, my my thought process is that not to let where you're at in your cycle dictate what seeds you are and aren't allowed to eat, but more so incorporating these into your diet on a regular basis from an anti-inflammatory fiber-rich perspective. Yeah. Same, 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 same. For zinc, I I love the frozen salmon example. I think sometimes like finding good source salmon can be helpful. I always like to keep 
canned salmon around. And I have two recipes on the website. One is for salmon salad. So it's like you make like tuna salad, but you use canned salmon. I always recommend getting it with the bone in and the skin on, which people are like, ew, but you don't taste it. Like the bones are super soft. I used to feed it to Hattie when she was a baby. They're so soft. You just mash them up and the bones contain minerals, vitamin D, and then the skin contains a lot of fatty acids that are really beneficial. So if you can find it that way, get it that way. It's usually less expensive too. Um, And so then Mm -hmm. I make basically tuna salad, but use salmon or I'll make my salmon cakes, which are such a great way to get protein in and you make extra and use them for lunch and stuff. So that's another way to get them in from a, a zinc perspective. I'm a huge fan of oysters. Do you like oysters, Rachel? I do. I love oysters. Whenever they're on, I mean, as long as it's not like a sketchy place, because <laughs> we've definitely ordered order, oysters and I'm like, I won't eat those like that. We should not have ordered them here. <laughs> as long as it's from like a seafood place that like gets fresh seafood, um, whenever oysters are on the menu, we always splurge because it's such a great way to get zinc in. And I always feel like I'm like doing something like super solid for my body. I want to be the type of person that can eat organ meats. And when I was like highly motivated, cause I felt like trash, I would, and I just like, can't do it. So I feel like oysters are the closest thing I can get to organ meats. I feel you on the liver, especially. Uh, the liver is it's rough. Well, what are, are you eating heart on the regular? No, no. Like, I'll do um, all the organs except for liver. Yeah. I, I've personally even taken, I've done like the little frozen liver cubes where I'll cut them up Mm -hmm. really small, put them on parchment paper, freeze them, and then like take that almost like a liver capsule or a liver supplement. It felt like a lot of work, but it can be so nutrient dense too. Well, we were just, I'm just going to bring this up since we're talking about liver now. On Instagram, in my stories last week, somebody asked like, what do you recommend for postpartum nutrition? I know we're getting a little off topic here, but I mean, still lots of great B vitamins and lots of great nutrition for the pill as well. Yeah. And I was like, honestly, I ate liver, you know, it was gnarly. I choked it back, but it's such a like rich source of nutrients. So what Rachel was saying, so this is how I did it. I usually bought chicken livers. I found them to be more palatable and raw. And then I would, (laughs) I would blend them up in my blender. And then I would mix it with a little bit of like tart cherry juice and shoot them back. Would you freeze it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yep, I would definitely do that. So I would, yeah, mm-hmm, that was the missing step. So I would blend it up so it was like a puree. And then I would like spread it out and freeze it into chunks on like parchment mm-hmm. paper. And then from mm-hmm. there I would, because I, I would do the same. I would just take them like little pills almost, like little freeze, mm-hmm. freeze pills, like you said. Um, but I found that it, I liked it better when I made like little shots. So then I would take the frozen liver and blend it up with tart cherry juice and literally put it in a shot glass and shoot it back, which sounds like absolutely insane. But I felt like a superhero when I did it. Yeah. You get it done. (laughs) If anybody does this, you have to write in and let us know if you're trying it out there. And then of course you're getting (laughs) well-sourced liver. So I would get liver from a local farm, Vernon family farm, but um, you would want to make sure it was well-sourced. Of course. Okay. So we're going to stop talking about that kind of liver and let's move to our own livers because we know, segue, we know there's a lot of talk about this on the TikTok, on the Instagram about this post pill detox. So what are people talking about? Why do we need to support detoxification after we come off birth control? What's up? So basically your liver is the site. It metabolizes all of the hormones that your body is producing and using. And when you're taking these high doses of synthetic hormones, your liver is essentially responsible for detoxing and clearing this all out of your system. And unfortunately, detoxification requires a ton of nutrients. Pretty much all of the nutrients that are depleted on the hormonal birth control actually are required for the different phases of detox. And the concept is when the liver is overwhelmed or burdened by these synthetic hormones coming in, this can also influence the way that your liver regulates your blood sugar, the way that it regulates your cholesterol, your lipid panel can even be influenced. And As a result, sometimes we can start to see like people come off the pill and it takes quite a while for their hormones to come back into balance just because the liver is still working to like clear those synthetic hormones out and start producing its own. 
it's really interesting in practice. I was working with this patient who we we worked on a lot of different things. She came to me for digestive issues. She had migraines. She had a lot going on. We she had also come to me with elevated liver function tests on her blood work. Her PCP was concerned about, and we did a whole workup. We got a lot of her symptoms under control, but the things that just weren't budging were these liver enzymes. We had a conversation about, you know, one of the things that we haven't addressed that we might be missing out on is like the the concept of your hormonal birth control potentially driving these enzymes up. And sure enough, she came off the pill and six months later, we ran some repeat blood work and things came into a normal range. Um, I'm not implying that coming off birth control always fix liver enzymes, but sometimes it can just be like the one thing, the like missing piece of like what is going on here. Oh, that's a great clinical pearl for um, practitioners listening too. Just in case some folks are unfamiliar, one of the things that we need to do with hormones, like our liver kind of deals with hormones similar to toxins. So we have to make, we have to build out hormones. We use them, we use the hormones and then we have to lose them. So the way that we do that is we metabolize them through the liver and then we poop them out essentially. And so that's why the liver comes into play here. And I just wanna, there is a whole sort of like a like feistiness about detoxification like if you have a liver and you have kidneys you're fine you don't need to support detoxification and it yeah but like these organs are really really doing the damn thing they are doing the most maybe 100 years ago 200 years ago we didn't have to worry about detoxification but look around the world has changed environmental toxicity has changed for better or for worse i mean i guess it's not for better it's for worse it's for worse <laughs> definitely for worse but like the, like the world has changed and so we need to like support these organs so that they can do their job having said all of that what are ways that we can support natural hepatic biotransformation, which is just the fancy word of saying liver detox? Circling back to like all those nutrient dense foods, we definitely want to ramp those up. For a lot of the patients that I work with on a one-on-one -on -one basis, they've heard me talk about the importance of increasing bitter foods in your diet. Even the women in CCP who are working with us right now, bitter foods, they stimulate bile production, they stimulate digestive juice function. I think about dietary cologogs, which are foods that support bile flow and they thin the bile also. So things like dandelion root tea, your ginger, your beets, those can be super therapeutic. Um, making sure that you're eating enough protein is another biggie just for supporting that detoxification process. And I'm curious here, do you have much experience with castor oil pack use? Well, first I want to say, I was thinking of you last night because Scott brought home kumquats and like you're supposed to eat them with the peel. So they're just in case anyone is unfamiliar with a kumquat, which I was, they're just, they look like little mini oranges kind of, but they taste like lemons. Anyway, we were eating them and I'm like, Whoa, I like was making the bitter foods face. Hattie was eating them. And we were all eating them. And I'm like, wow, we're really like doing our livers a solid right now with these bitter foods because they're sour, but then they're also bitter. The rind of any citrus mm -hmm. fruit is super bitter. So I was, I was thinking of you. I'm like, Rachel would be so proud of us. We were really doing it. We are doing it right before dinner and everything. Um, castor oil packs. I'm a huge fan. I know you use them a lot in practice. I'm a big, big fan. And we have to shout out Queen of Thrones. I will link, link her up in the show notes because... I mean, hands down, best castor oil pack ever, right? Would you agree? Yeah, it's just 100%. Like, no muss, no fuss. Exactly. And it's it's just a lot less messy than those DIY versions. Nothing against them, no shame. I just, I've found that a lot of women don't have the time to do like grab some flannel and pop some castor oil pack on their abdomen and just lay on the couch for three hours while they're wearing it. So I love this, this version because you can wrap it around your abdomen and tie it to yourself so you can move and groove while you're wearing it 100%. Yeah, they're like, I mean, doing it, you can do castor oil packs super, super cheap, but I feel like I would always psych myself out. I'm like, oh, it's such a to-do. It's such a to-do. And so these, they, she just designed this, like you just wrap it around. Some people sleep with them. A lot of people just sleep mm -hmm. with them overnight and it's not messy at all. It's like probably, what are they like 40, $50 maybe? So they're not like $50. wicked yeah. cheap, but totally worth it. And you just reuse mm -hmm. it like over and over and over again. So I'm a huge fan. Can you tell people if they were interested in using castor oil packs for liver health, how to, how they would go about that? So I encourage people to start low and slow with it. So the 
the castor oil pack is essentially like a big cloth. You apply the castor oil to it, and then your liver is located kind of around your, beneath your right rib cage, right around that area. So you'll place this castor oil pack, this big cloth around your right abdomen, and then you'll just tie you'll tie it around yourself. Um, I have like a dedicated castor oil shirt and sweater just in case it does leak at all. And I encourage people to start low and slow with it, you know, starting with 30 to 45 minutes at a time, increasing to a few hours. And I do have some women that I work with who wear it overnight and they just feel like it really helps with that relaxation. It kind of helps to de-bloat some women. And I've just found it to be very therapeutic if we're working on any type of detoxification work because it's really just supportive to the liver and that natural process that's occurring. And let's take a quick break so we can talk about Element. I'm so pumped to hear that you guys are digging this stuff. I knew you would. It's so freaking tasty. I did get a question about sodium. Somebody asked if I was concerned with the sodium content and the answer is not at all. In fact, that's why I sought out Element as my electrolyte drink of choice active athletes, especially during hot weather, can lose up to seven grams of sodium per day just through sweat alone. And in order to replete that, to replace that, we need both water and sodium so we can reestablish appropriate and proper hydration. I'm active. I like to do hot yoga. Honestly, on my hot yoga days, I actually double down on Element. I know many of you are active as well. So this is something that we really should be mindful of. Salt has been villainized. It's not the bad guy. We need salt. We need minerals. We need electrolytes. And if you want to do it in a yummy way, Element is your thing. So right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. So that's eight packets for free with any element order. It's a great way to try the flavor, see what you like. And you can get it at drinkelement.com forward slash funk. The deal is only available through my link. You got to go to drinklmnt.com forward slash funk. You also get a no questions asked refund. So try it risk-free. You're going to love it. And you've probably heard that the human body is mostly water, but what you probably don't know is that everything else in your body is about 50% amino acids. These building blocks of life are essential for health and for fitness. No matter how you like to move, whatever you do to stay fit, amino acids are essential. This is why Kian Aminos is my fundamental supplement for fitness. I drink them every day, usually a couple of times a day, for muscle and for recovery. Kian Aminos is backed by over 20 years of clinical research, has the highest quality ingredients, no fillers, no junk, undergoes rigorous quality testing, and tastes really good. So if you want to naturally boost your energy, build lean muscle, and enhance athletic recovery, you need to get Keon Aminos. You can now save 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% on one-time purchases. Just go to getkeon.com forward slash funk. That's G-E-T-K-I-O-N.com slash F-U-N-K to get my fundamental supplement for fitness, Keon Aminos. All right, back to the show. And then you can also use it for more hormonal support or uh, like, to, mm-hmm. you know, to support symptoms. If you're, if you've got cramping, I like to do it yeah. over my lower abdomen for like, if I feel constipation or sluggish mm-hmm. or just sensitive, I can get like a little inflamed down in that area yeah. from years of like GI tomfoolery. So I also like to, to do it there, but you kind of move the pack around depending on what area you're trying to target. So Let's move into why birth control is associated with inflammation. Like how can it be inflammatory to the body? So birth control itself, it has been shown to increase this marker, this blood marker, CRP. CRP is C-reactive protein, which is a marker of inflammation in the blood vessels. It's linked to the higher your CRP is, the more cardiovascular risk you have. So We know there's a definite connection there. We also know that the birth control pill can contribute to insulin resistance. And so if your glucose is up and down throughout the day, that is just no good for inflammation control and for your adrenals as well. And inflammation, it's kind of this like broad category and it can manifest in so many different ways for different people. Um, We're not just thinking about cardiovascular risk, but we're thinking about you know, joint pain can show up. You can get headaches, migraines, brain fog, fatigue, even painful periods are side effects of inflammatory activity as well. So I was on hormonal birth control for about eight years. And 
it's one of those things where you sometimes you don't realize how you looked previously until you look back at old photos. So I worked at this clinic. And when I first started working on at, at the clinic, I was still taking hormonal birth control. And we took staff photos. And my picture was up in the front lobby on like this um, reel. And we had this new doctor who started at the clinic. And when he started, I had already come off of birth control. And a few months after working there, he turned to me and looked at me and he's like, Rachel, what was going on with you when those initial photos were taken? He's like, you looked like you've depuffed. Um, he's like, you looked like you had, a, you, your cheeks were like balloons and someone just like let some of the air out. Which <laughs> I did a lot of work, but it was really, really interesting because within a few months of even just like discontinuing the pill, I just started to notice less water retention, less inflammation, less like overall brain fog myself. So kind of funky here. It was like a um, visual representation of inflammation in the body. Yeah. Like a little um, hamster with their cheeks full almost. Yeah. <laughs> I've also, again, can't directly blame this, but a lot of my work with patients in our first appointment will go through their clinical picture, their symptoms, their timeline, and their lived experience. And, you know, I was working with this patient where you know, she had a lot going on throughout her childhood, throughout her adolescent years, but it was just interesting too. We had seen like she started hormonal birth control. She started to notice an uptick in digestive symptoms the month that she started it. And then six months later, she was diagnosed with celiac disease. And I'm not here to say that the pill directly caused her celiac diagnosis. But when we think about it being this, it's you know another drop in the bucket, another contributing factor to that inflammatory type of a profile. When we think about what are the driving factors for autoimmune conditions, we know inflammatory activity, even a leaky gut are contributing factors or potential things to consider. And we know that the hormonal birth control really influences the gut, which I think a lot of people are surprised to hear about. So can you talk more about that? Yes. So the pill itself has been shown to create changes in your microbiome, and it has actually been shown to contribute to leaky gut. We know that there's many things that contribute to leaky gut itself, but even just like that ongoing kind of inflammatory activity can contribute to the breakdown of the gut lining. So we have our microbiome. And within our microbiome, we have this thing, it's called the estrobilome. And it's like this specific subset of bacteria that help metabolize and break down and control your levels of estrogen. We know when people go on the pill, it is linked to decreased diversity in your microbiome, so less good bacteria overall, and it can really influence how your body is breaking down, processing, and metabolizing those estrogens, which is really tricky when you come off the pill. And if your estrobilome is all messed up and interfered or disrupted, then you can have those estrogen dominance type of symptoms, more painful periods, PMS, you name it. Interestingly enough, there's been quite a few studies that have been done. They came out like eight, 10 years ago that like definitely link the use of oral estrogen to Crohn's disease yeah. as well. It's pretty wild. And so let's say somebody's like, oh my gosh, well, I'm on birth control and I don't really have any intention of coming off of it um, for own personal reasons. But like now I'm like really worried about my gut. Is there anything that folks can do to support their gut health if they are choosing to stay on birth control? 100%. And I, I like to take a food first approach or like food as a foundational approach to start. I'm thinking about prebiotics a lot and I recommend these really regularly. So prebiotics being the food that feed your beneficial bacteria. We're thinking about your garlic, your onions, your bananas, your resistant starches. I know you talk a lot about polyphenols as well, your deep blue, purple, black produce items in general. and. I speak a lot to patients about this as well, the importance of just bringing in a varied and diverse diet. So trying like the kumquats or like trying those different plant foods are a great way to continue to expose your microbiome to more variety and support those levels of your good bacteria. Scott does the grocery shopping. And so he was going to Whole Foods. That's where he got the kumquats. And I'm like, you got to, I'm like, you got to get wild with the produce, like, like get buck wild, like don't get the same stuff, you know, like think outside the box, get like, if I was shopping, right, I would get like so yeah. many different species. And he's like, this is so much pressure, Aaron, but God, he came home and Perfect. the fridge is, I'm like, I don't even know what to do with half of this stuff. But that, it's that variety piece. I mean, your, your gut bugs 
thrive on variety. We get so locked into like the same five to 10 you know, produce items and we just put them on rotation. If you go to any traditional grocery store, you're going to find that, which is another why reason to like seek out your local farmers and try your best mm-hmm. to source. I know it's easier said than done depending on where you live. Try to source yeah. farmers markets and, and local local produce or grow your own, you know? Yeah. I've even found for people who are in more rural areas, even things like CSA boxes can be a great way to get exposure. Um Someone in the CCP Facebook group, I'm not exactly sure where they live, but it's somewhere in the Midwest. And they were saying their farmer's markets are closed through April. But what she ended up doing was like reaching out to the local farmers. And now she has like her local eggs on delivery. And like she gets the food source from the farmers, just not from the farmer's market anymore. Yeah, that was Erin, a fellow Erin. We know our our stuff, those (laughs) Erins. Perfect. And then from the concept of supporting the gut lining as, as well, or in general, I think about incorporating potentially like uh, collagen peptides or bone broth for the amino acids for that L-glutamine in general. And then thinking about for certain patients when they come off the pill, if they are having a lot of of GI symptoms, sometimes I do recommend L-glutamine supplementation as well. That can be very therapeutic. Yeah. We'll see a lot of clients or patients that you know, work with Rachel or come through your hormone revival. And if addressing things from a liver, food, hormone, adrenal perspective just simply isn't moving the needle, sometimes we do have to, you know, look at the stool and see what's going on, you know, with with the gut. Speaking of adrenals, what is the link there? Because Unfortunately, when we're talking about the brain down communication, this is going to include overall adrenal health. And we know that the pill will influence this. For sure. And there's this there's this awesome cascade. So it's not just the brain to ovary connection, but it's the brain communicates with your hypothalamus, your pituitary, the adrenals, your ovaries, the thyroid, everything is connected in this like beautiful symphony and cascade. And so when we disrupt the communication between one of these systems, the others will suffer. And so in general, we think about even just like the hormones found in the pill, that synthetic estrogen, it can be inflammatory when it's present at such high levels. And our body can release cortisol in response to this inflammatory type of a compound. And we love inflammation when it's short term or in short bursts, but when it's chronic and ongoing, this puts a lot of demand on our adrenals. It can contribute to that adrenal dysfunction, adrenal depletion. And Kind of coming back to that nutrient piece, it's like we're depleting all these nutrients that your adrenals need to function. Your Bs, your C, your zinc are just required for cortisol production in general as well. And then, you know, like you said, like <laughs> it influences everything. And so then we're, of course, we're going to see hormone imbalances. I mean, adrenal hormones are hormones, but we're going to see other types of hormone imbalances both on and off the pill. And so what are things that you would typically see in terms of imbalance here? I will say an interesting thing that I've heard stories about are women will, they'll come off the pill and they start ovulating again and their hormones return. And they, because again, when you ovulate, you produce different pheromones and and things shift and things change. I've seen women where they are no longer attracted to their partners that they've been with for three plus, four plus years. I've seen them struggle with their libido returning. And I've had women where we're talking like eight, 10, 12 months where it's sluggish to kind of come back. In some cases, women come off the pill and their periods return within a month. But for some women, we're talking like six, eight, plus months for that their cycles to return. Unfortunately, in many of the cases, if you get on the pill because you are experiencing symptoms, if there's any type of underlying condition like PCOS or a lot of women do go on the pill for acne, if we're not addressing like the hormone metabolism and the natural fluctuations that occur throughout the month and what our body is doing with those hormones, we can see a resurgence in those symptoms, sometimes even worse than before. Can you speak a little bit more about that acne piece? Because I know that that's like a, it's a strong concern for a lot of folks. Yes. So basically you take these synthetic hormones, it shuts off your body's natural production of hormones, including estrogen, progesterone, and then oftentimes testosterone. So when we shut off testosterone production, testosterone can influence 
sebum production, oily skin, and acne if levels are uncontrolled. So what a lot of women experience is they come off the pill, they're doing fine three, four, even six months. And then all of a sudden they start breaking out like crazy. And this is because testosterone levels start to slowly rise. They rebound and all of a sudden it's a lot more testosterone than your body is used to processing. And with that testosterone, you get more oily skin, you get more acne. It's not always about the testosterone piece with with acne, but that's definitely a big trigger that I've seen. Some people call it like post-pill PCOS because you're just getting that like surge in testosterone. We know zinc plays a big, big role in acne and just like skin health and the pill depletes that. And then we also know that sometimes your microbiome, well, oftentimes your microbiome plays a big role in your skin health. And if you've seen an overgrowth of bad bacteria or reduced levels of beneficial bacteria on the pill, that can contribute to more skin issues kind of popping up afterwards as well. And so I know the answer to this. this is, I'm, I'm gonna, not gonna lie. I know the answer to this, but I'm asking for people who are listening in working with your patients in clinic, have you seen some favorable results getting people off of birth control? No, I shouldn't say we're getting people off off birth control because it's not like we're like telling people to come off of it. But if people are coming to us saying, hey, it's a goal of mine to come off of this. I just need some help and some assistance. Can you talk about an example of something you might've seen? Oh, for sure. I worked with this patient. She didn't come to me specifically for weight loss. It was like always a concern of hers. She had insomnia. She had digestive issues. We like worked through, we did a whole functional medicine workup and like things were going really, really well. Like came off allergy medicine, was sleeping through the night, digestion really, really stable. And then the last thing is she's just like, Rachel, I feel like these last, you know, 10, 15 pounds just won't budge. I know this isn't my set point. She's like, it's not so much about the aesthetics as much as it is just like feeling confident in my skin and my clothing that fit me even just a few years ago. And one of the things that we hadn't addressed in our work together was like what was going on with her birth control. And we had the conversation about it. Again, there's no pressure from me ever either way. It's more about the education than anything. And literally within six weeks of discontinuing the pill, her weight dropped. I want to say it was like 12 pounds pretty rapidly. It was just like that inflammation, that water retention as well. From the perspective as well of things that I've seen too, I worked with a patient who was getting regular hormonal migraines where she was getting, she was getting migraines with her period and then in the few days leading up to it. So she was put on hormonal birth control to try to regulate that and it actually ended up making things worse. So by getting her off the pill and then kind of addressing her gut, which was an issue even before she got on the pill and supporting her liver and her estrogen metabolism, she lives her life without any migraines anymore. And I know it's a little bit more complex than that, but I've seen the pill just create such a cascade of symptoms for people and getting off of it can be so, so helpful. It's like, I want to say unreal, but it's after listening to this entire episode, we understand why that might be the case. And, you know, our intention with this episode was to help you better understand what's going on in your body, whether you're on the pill or you're choosing to come off of it and how to really address and support your body. I will say that we've packed this episode full of resources that you can try on your own. If you're at the point where you're like, gosh, I really need like a second set of eyes on my whole situation. That's what the Your Hormone Revival program is all about. If you don't know what's going on with your hormones, we find out through testing. And that is true if you're on birth control or if you just came off birth control or if you're doing the program because it is your goal to come off birth control, we welcome everybody, everybody. And it's not just a birth control program. Like, you know, but we do support that. So if you are looking for testing instead of guesting and you would like our help, then you can join your hormone revival. We open the cart in February. So thank you so much, Rachel. This was uh, definitely an eye-opening conversation for a lot of folks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.